Broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. Everybody to another episode of the Highlight Cast. Uh, this is Adam McNair. I'm the uh, Chief Operating Officer here at Highlight. I am joined by our Marketing Manager, Victoria Robinson. Hi, Victoria. Hi, everybody. Uh, also, as as usual, joined by uh, Kevin Long, who leads up our development and modernization. Good morning, Kevin. Morning, Adam. Morning, Victoria. And. and- and also for this week, we uh, are happy to have uh, Emily Scantleberry with us, who is our BD Operations Manager here at Highlight. Good morning, Emily. Hey, team, and good morning, all listeners. Yeah. Now, in, in full honesty with everybody, I will tell you that we it's we're allowed to say good morning at kind of at any time with this crew of folks because both Victoria and Emily are on the West Coast, <laughs> and Kevin and I are on the East Coast. So the magic of Microsoft Teams allows us to get everybody here in one one virtual room, but we are kind of spread across the country. Um, now we're releasing this podcast on uh, inauguration day, and as we wrapped up last year, one of the things that we talked a little bit about was the fact that there was still a fair amount of uncertainty as to priorities of new administration and such. And I think that's still largely true. Um, but with any transition and and switchover, I think there's uh, there's similarity between uh, administration changes with contract transitions. I mean, just change management is um, – it is is always critical to an organization or to a program, specifically around the uh, administration change. I, I think that one of the biggest benefits of kind of getting on with the the next administration, uh, and this is with any time administrations change, is the the last three to six months of any administration, uh, whether they, um, you know, think they might not win or if they are coming up on, you know, an incumbent and they know that team isn't eligible for another term, there's a lot of inertia around not making big, wide-sweeping decisions and or distraction as you start to have some top top people in the organizations leave. Um, they, they know that they are more focused on either transition or finding their next role, uh, then, you know, they, they just can't set long-term policy. And so I think it's it's helpful for us um, as we look for, you know, we're, we're generally looking on a three or four-year time window of things that are coming up in the future. Most of our contracts are you know, five years long. When you're trying to come up with a roadmap for something, there's this kind of stopping point that makes it very difficult to look past. Um, But there's also, any administration, there's going to be policy differences, and um, those are areas where we try to put some estimates in, but it really depends on how much of that's going to get translated to existing procurements uh, as opposed to things that will stay on steady uh, steady state, steady pace. Um, So, Kevin, as far as the customers that you've interacted with, are, are you seeing a lot of 
holds on funding, holds on scope, holds on making large decisions, or is it at is that kind of at a different level from where your programs reside to where that that agency right. trans transition is is uh, taking so, place? So, no one will ever say that it's because of the transition, but I, I do notice, you know, procurements that I that uh, I was expecting to happen in, you know, late summer or early fall kept getting pushed, kept getting pushed, kept getting pushed. Oh, suddenly new administration is decided and, you know, the GS folks, you know, all of a sudden, you know, put in some changes to procurement or, or suddenly drop something that, that has, uh, uh, that had been waiting since before the election and it's now suddenly on the ground and active. But, Generally, you know, I mean, you do get a lot more paren acting closed paren in people's email signatures for the titles that they're that they're in as as the uh, you know presidential appointees, you know, go go find their their next gigs. Uh, but I mean, it's it, it, this this year, previous administrations, really, it's. It's it's much more boring, I think, than a lot of people <laughs> might actually think. It's once the transition starts happening, and you're suddenly bringing in, you know, uh, new crops of SESs, new crops of presidential appointees. You know, all of the folks that come in, like you were saying, you get the policy changes, and you know, I mean, I, I've run. SharePoint teams. And so you have a, a hundred different, you know, oh, well, here's the new uh, bio and the new new head of this. And here's the new policy documentation. And here's the new executive orders of the things that they're going to do that set policy quickly and, and things like that. I mean, and, you know, I, I worked in the office of the secretary uh, when Secretary Rice was leaving and Secretary Clinton was starting. And then when Secretary Clinton was leaving and so when you're doing that and like literally like building or, or helping them digitize, you know, 23,000 pages worth of briefing books to get the new secretaries and things like that up to speed to, so that they know everything they need to know. That, that's where, where the, the real work comes in, not so much with uh, with with contract funding and things like that, that we've seen that the government is very good at 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 maintaining itself through uh, through changes of administration, thankfully. I think that makes it well, that makes sense, and I think it it hits on an area that um, is essentially transition. But I have supported organizations that moved from one cabinet level agency to another, or like when DHS got created. Oh. <laughs> I, I feel Just like that's. All yeah, that, that's actually much more disruptive, I think, than a presidential mm -hmm. uh, transition. I know when, oh, when yeah. DHS was being created, um, there are questions about – I mean this gets kind of mundane, but the details get hard. The, oh, the yeah. licensing, you know, if you have – one platform licensed to one organization and a, and, a, and a kind of a competing or non one a platform that doesn't integrate well with that in another organization, turning all of it off. If they have a multi-year enterprise agreement, they may not be able to. Oh yeah, and I mean, the I mean, architecture is hard. Oh yeah, or do you have a 
dot miller dot gov uh, email address all of a sudden, right? I mean, who do you who do you call when your password needs to be reset? Yeah. Oh yeah, um, that that is. I mean, yeah, th- th- that was way harder than than any transition that 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 I've seen, and the transition to from Rice to 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 Clinton literally still had paper books that she had to read from Clinton to Kerry got to have it all digitized on iPads um, or tablets of of one flavor or other. But yeah, uh, when you're doing large sweeping changes like, you know, creating a new new uh, cabinet level agency out of, you know, (laughs) out of a dozen Plus, other uh, previously autonomous aid uh, organizations was, yeah, mu- much harder than that. I mean, and certainly much harder than you know just updating your websites, updating your your uh, your policies. I mean, the the real thing, depending on where in the the hierarchy of an agency you sit, it's getting to understand how. I mean, so you suddenly have a new boss, right? I mean, how they like their information, uh, what their priorities are, and then how you can—I mean, how you can help solve their problems, right? I mean, that's the whole—the whole reason we're there, right? If we're not helping solve their problems, then they will go find someone else that will. And so, it's—you um, know—it's almost like starting a new job, right? Um, with uh, with new folks like that, but uh, you know, much easier for us because we're part of the the underlying infrastructure and and the the new folks, the new secretaries, uh, deputy secretaries, undersecretaries, directors, what have you, um, are are coming in and having to learn a whole new new system. I actually think this transition, given who I've seen so far be named, it's there are a lot of people who were. Undersecretaries, deputy secretaries, or previous secretaries before, so this will not be their first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think it'll be interesting to see how quickly they all and their people hit the ground running once they're in office spaces in, you know, the Pentagon or Foggy Bottom or or you know, Camp Springs or wherever their their office is going to be. Yeah, it it raises a thought for me that I wonder if. Organizations that are used to rotation-based management handle this easier than others. I, I think you know if anybody has supported Department of Defense, you know your your officer yeah. core mm-hmm. one to two year cycles, and and they are you know ready to move out. Um, yep. The State Department. Three years and, and and move. Yep. Yeah, and commonly in State Department, if somebody has a three year assignment, uh, about a year's worth, six months on the front and six months on the back end of that is language training to wherever they're going for their next assignment. Because yeah. um, I know I had a I had a, a core one time who was rotating to Brazil, and. I was surprised to find out that he told me at some point, well, I guess this is it. I won't, you know, won't be seeing you guys. I, I thought it was months from now. He said, well, yeah, but I have to go learn Portuguese. Yeah, I have to go learn Portuguese, yeah. And so I'm going to be at, at their, you know, for, uh, their, FSI, yeah. The FSI, which is their, their foreign service, you know, Institute. kind of college, essentially. Um, also, there are organizations, especially in law enforcement, you know, yeah. I know in, um, in a lot of those, locations agents will be they will spend time 
on different desks. They will work South America. Then they will work a regional office up here. Then they will kind of move around. And so um, I'm wondering if there is you know, may, maybe more of a robust change management kind of built into the culture. Um, the other thing that I, I have certainly seen is um, I've had customers in the past where they – they have been in that job for 20 or 30. Um, oh, yeah. I, I had one customer who'd been in her same job for 50 years. And so, I mean, when they when oh. she retired, obviously, it was a big deal. And they put a plaque in the in the, in the lobby of the, the department building for her. But nonetheless, she had that same job for, you know, five decades. And I don't know how many administrations. Um, and so c- continuity can be helpful from one contractor to the next, but if there are different priorities, it makes me wonder how much stasis might be in that organization. Um, are there, have you seen differences? You know, you've worked state a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also worked DOD. Have, have you seen differences in customers that wanted to just continue to move forward with existing plans they had or those moments where they told you, like, <laughs> let's wait and see what you know, the X administration decides that, that they, that, you know, they want to say or do. Yeah. So, um, generally speaking, uh, well, with DOD, the, the mission of the day is the mission of the day and they're going to keep going. And when they get different orders, they'll put a cleat in the ground and they'll turn. Right. Um, in my experience. So, you know, they, they, they're they're uh, they're hardcore keeping with that with a um, with State Department. Well, I mean, where diplomacy is is sort of built into it, right? They do they do read, uh, and it could be that that my I have twice as much time at state than I do with DOD. Uh, so it could be just a depth of experience that uh, I see more nuance there. That that they, they do do a lot of reading of the tea leaves um, and will will try to uh, not waste too many cycles. But that said, at across most of of, uh, of the agencies, they're so large that, I mean, as soon as you get, you know, if you have, you know, three levels down, it, policy is rarely going, at least as far as IT goes, right, is rarely going to get get knocked on its ear from a uh, from a pol- or from a, a, an administration change. You know, I mean, I don't care who's president. No one wants to be hacked, right? right. I don't care who's president. No one wants uh, uh, outdated uh, outdated uh, software and and hardware for for their agency, right? It is th- things like that are 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 universal, uh, regardless of politics. And so with that, it's mainly you'll see if they think that, Hey, I've heard this agency is, is, uh, uh, this president's, um, priority. And I think that there might be an increase in funding. They might hold off on putting something out because they think they may get some more money or, Hey, I've heard this agency is not a president's priority. Let's go spend all the budget we have now because and rack and stack priorities to to hold up for a you know because rainy days could be coming. Um, so you see it some, but but for the most part, it's yeah. I mean, we're they're 
they're very mission oriented and trying to get done with it, what they try to get done at, at both. But, you know, you'll definitely see, you know, a new officer comes in or a new foreign service person comes in and they're both merit-based promotion systems, right? Mm-hmm. They have, you know, two, three years to prove the value that they've got to, uh, that they've done. And so they want to put their metrics in. And so you see folks, you know, uh, not sometimes you'll see them not wanting to carry forward what was prior so they can put their own stamp on something to you know show show how they go with that um but it's a you 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 rarely see bad ideas come through you just see see different approaches and you know that's it's challenging but always interesting yeah i i think one of the so something interesting about things I've been involved in is the the biggest changes in the ways that I had to move forward on programs honestly had less to do with who was in the White House as opposed to what someone thought about whether it was a state or federal responsibility. Mm. Um, yeah. I At EPA, I've, I've built systems where – the discussion of should this be 50 plus territories, should this be 53-odd individual systems that feed up with common data standards, or should we have a federal system? Right. And DHS had the same thing around critical infrastructure protection. Um, There's a lot of those kinds of conversations. Labor has those same same things with, you know, you know, labor statistics and things like that. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And so that that becomes much more complicated, I think, because it's not you know, there is no one party that speaks for the states. So it's a discussion and almost a negotiation with all those different organizations. Um, But and I also I mean, I've seen that at State Department, frankly, also where there are some embassies that would build their own applications at times. And yeah, that's true. (laughs) There were times that we had a centralized application and then we would go look at the embassy one and realize that the embassy application was actually way more advanced than what we had. So there's always a little bit of that um, across stakeholders, I think. Um, Now, we've been through various administration transitions and I've I've been around a lot of them. Um, I've certainly had customers who sat in on transition teams and uh, I think I think all of them are hard. I think um, the shorter it is, the, the more difficult. And I and so I think the incoming administration is going to have um, extra challenges from the standpoint of not quite as much time to to prepare. And that this I, I equate to contract transitions. Sometimes the hand wringing and discussions and all of the extra thinking and, and and all that that comes in to the transition period. Sometimes shorter is is almost just as good in some ways because you can track risks and you can either track them for 90 days or 30 days or you can just work on them. And more times better, but I think you know as I think about transitions that that I've worked on or that we've worked on I, I don't know that I've ever worked on one that was easy regardless of how much time we had no right no transitions will will expand to fill all available time yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. How do you how do you feel? And one of the things that we often do is we assign somebody to be the transition manager who's not the PM so that somebody can, um, you know, focus on transition activities with the thought that there's going to be enough for a PM to do uh, above and beyond that. Are there other things in transitions that you've seen that really seemed to help? Because you've certainly been involved in a lot of them. Yeah. Um, Strong knowledge management is really key because uh, when you're coming in cold and everybody comes in cold unless they're you know, staying in the same job, right? Um, knowing where you can go to find what you need to know, and having it organized in a way, because I mean, there, I mean, there are rabbit holes, you know, even six layers deep in in an agency, given the level of sophistication of the of the federal government, that someone's going to need to know, right? If it's, you know, the deputy assistant. Undersecretary for you know email, right? Um, there is uh, there, there there is no shortage of things that they don't know what they don't know, and having a a good place that is organized and searchable to be able to to go in and and, and find what you don't know. I mean, even if it's just walking in and picking up code base from for another system, right? It's what has been done in the past, you know, anything that prevents you from making the same mistake twice just because you didn't know is is so crucial and has been um, the, the most important thing that I've seen in any sort of transition, you know, that 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 1200 page briefing book that that lets you know what's going on, what they're working on and what needs to happen. And uh, I've seen some transitions where you walk in and they say, we have nothing written down. This is Bob. Bob knows everything. Bob's going to walk around with you for, for a week. You can ask him anything you want. And that's great because Bob knows everything, right? But you don't necessarily know what to ask Bob. And when Bob goes away in a week, oof, it's painful. Um, but I've also walked in and been given, here's your login to Confluence. We store everything here. Here's how you search it. Here's how you here's how you look into it. These are the documents that, that, that we put in. If you're missing something, let us know. We'll go find it. You may just not have permissions for it. And that um, it was I mean, the first time it happened, it was shocking to me. And then I had a big grin on my face. And then I, I you know, had me and, and the team folks, you know, dive into it and, and see see what it was. Uh, and you know, really have a much better understanding of what we were getting into. So that that's what I always wish for in any transition is is knowledge of what you're walking into in a well-organized manner. Yeah, and I, I think that probably ties into, I, I think one of the major success factors for a transition is how well the procurement was run. You know, as I'm sitting here thinking about kind of the the the, the difficult stories of transitions over the years, 
when they did not leave themselves, and sometimes this can't be helped, but when they did not leave themselves enough time for an adequate transition at all. Oh, yeah. um, now, look, people protest things. They protest things multiple times. Um, one of the programs we're on now was protested two or three times before we started. And I know we were – well, because the, the, at one point we were all flying out there, and I, I was on the plane and didn't get the note that the thing was canceled until uh, I was I was flying. And I, I got email. Uh, I, I got Wi-Fi to check email on the flight, and I was flying to St. Louis and got the note that it's mm-hmm. protested and you're, you're stopped work. Flying to St. Like, Louis through, the, through a blizzard. Yes, through a blizzard, <laughs> and, and it was my daughter's birthday. So that's oh, that's how oh, I know it was February because it oh, was it was February twentieth because that's her birthday. So oh, I was uh, uh, I, I was flying out there. I was like, well, that's that's exceptional. So I started yeah. texting people and telling them like, I think I got Kevin. You got to turn around, right? No, I was stuck. See, you guys flew out of Nashville. I was flying out of Dulles. Here's the irony: Tamar, Adam, and I were all flying out there for that. Tamar made it first. Adam was in the air and then got turned and had to get turned around. I had another customer and had to be in St. Louis, and I had my flight canceled. So That's right, because you got stuck old, in Dulles. Didn't you end up like in the hotel or something? I ended up at a hotel in Dulles, barely making it there because of the uh, because of the ice storm. Absolutely, and so y'all got there but had to turn around. I couldn't yeah. get, actually. Well, that comes back there. to me now because I started out with a flight <laughs> out of Dulles. And sw- and because everything was getting canceled and delayed for weather, I switched it to national and drove to national, and yep. they kept canceling flights. So by the time I got on a plane, I got there at like 6 a.m. By the time I got on a plane at like noon, that was technically the 7 a.m. flight that was supposed to be leaving. And then as I was in the air, Tamar had just landed – and I texted her and told her – so she never her. left the airport. She just went back to the air desk yeah. and said, can you please put me on the next one back home? So oh. she flew back home, and I got there. And by the time I got there, there, there were no other flights back, and so then I came back the following day. So that was that was exciting. But but we we digress, I guess. Yes. I, I think, I think oh. the amount of time that people give themselves uh, – for the procurement and the amount of information that goes into it, you know, I won't get into specific, you know, contract instances, but um, what I mean, one of them that is is old and dated enough now that I don't think anybody would be uh, would, would be you know offended by. You know, we did one at, at USAID about 15 years ago, and we got the note that we were awarded the contract on a Friday afternoon. And the contract had ended that day. Wow. And so they said, look, if you don't get these people offer letters and get them signed over the weekend, their badges are going to lapse and we're not going to be able to. And it'll take us three months to get them rebadged. Yeah, and they were working active systems. Um, that turned into a major, major challenge. I mean, we got everybody signed over the weekend and calling people and half of them don't know who I am. And I'm calling them at their home and saying, you know, by the way, your existing company may not have told you, but your contract is over. And if they have not told you that they're going to lay you off, that is likely going to happen on Monday. Um, Sorry to let you know all that, but good news is here's an offer letter. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I've, I've, I've been through that um, when the government hasn't told you whether they have incumbent staff or not, 
and so you're not you sure. show up there and you're literally introduced to hey this is bob he knows everything and you start talking with him and you find out that bob doesn't know his contract ended yes i've had multiple people actually you and i were both in the room for one of those yes Absolutely. We informed someone that their contract was over because we were meeting with them as a transition activity and they didn't realize their contract was over. Wow. And and then we've also had, uh, you know, situations where the requirements as documented and awarded. I sat in a transition kickoff um, and. Some organizations will talk to you from the time the contract is awarded and others will not. And so, you know, what I always try to do is as soon as you find out you've won the contract, you call them and say, hi, uh, we're really excited about this award. Can you let me know anything that's keeping you up at night? Things that you think are big risks, in-flight projects that are going on. How staffed is this program? Like is is the work going okay or poorly or, you know, help help get me up to situational awareness for where you are. And sometimes they will do that. And sometimes they will tell you this has to wait until the kickoff. And then you've lost, I mean, sometimes weeks. I, I've had contracts that we've won in the past that it, oh, yeah. it might be – you might have a 30-day transition period, and they can't get the right people in the room, and they won't have a, a, a kickoff yep. for three weeks. So right. you're just sitting there going, I hope this isn't, isn't – I hope so – I hope they wrote down day. what they actually needed. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I sat at a Department of Justice transition meeting years and years ago. This wasn't a highlight contract. And um, as we sat there, it was an app dev contract, and they said, well – you know, you're going to need. We we saw that your org chart and the people that you proposed, but you're going to need an ops team to run the servers. Mm-hmm. Said, well, what servers? They said, well, we we had a couple words in it about it in the statement of work. But what the statement of work said, it was like 15 pages of all this all these applications that we had to develop against, and there was one line in it that says, and ancillary support as necessary. Which may include and it had various things, servers, et cetera. Well, it was only an eighteen person program. So it's not like I mean, if you have hundreds of people at times there's a, there's kind of an That's economy nice. of scale and you can go, okay, let's figure out. We we bid three you know, three three six person um app teams. Right. And here they're like, well, who's going to run the servers? We don't have any server people. We didn't bid any. And that's, that's a failing of, their, uh, of the way that their, their requirements were documented. So I, I think a lot of times it's how hard or easy it's going to be is almost at times kind of determined before you, before you ever set foot on the ground. Oh, yeah. Um, also, from a communication standpoint, in your experience, how how, how willing are multiple people to, to pick up the phone and just level with you and tell you where things are as opposed to kind of this um, mm-hmm. kind of longer ter- term formal chain things come right. to you only once sanitized by somebody else and sent through the contracting officer? It's a, it's a coin flip. I mean, honestly, uh, and it is not based on the 
culture of the agency so much as the culture of the office that you're walking into and how many how used to transitioning in new contracts they are right um you know i've had some uh i've had some really good ones where people were very very upfront and very frank but spoke with a level of assumed knowledge that that was that made it difficult that you got up to speed in the 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 hindsight after you stepped on a couple landmines you're like oh okay of course you can't put you know bob in the same room as joe (laughs) oops right um but but uh but they were very frank right and with that and then i've had other ones where you know well you know send us the slide deck i'll tell you if it's if it's okay and um uh i will only communicate to you through the uh uh items identified in the quasp as deliverables and then i will take the three days to review them and i will give you specific comments and then you will have five days to get them back to me and that is how we will talk yeah right and then i've had other ones where you walk in it's like hey we're so it's so awesome that you're here. Uh, we're excited. These are the things that we have going on right now. This is what I'm worried about. Um, do you have someone that knows X, Y, and Z? Because if you don't, you know, let, let's tweak some things because uh, this is the direction that we're going that has changed since the procurement dropped. Still in scope, but you know, a little bit different flavor. And, and where, you know, it's. When when the customer is you know one team with the contractor right you know rah rah like that's that's where you you, you really really get it um, and not that they're you know trying to do personnel services things on non personnel services contracts or telling you who to hire but giving you information on what's going on on the ground to help you succeed I mean that's that that's crucial well i'll tell you it's just a scenario that comes to mind that i've had to deal with a lot of times which is hard is you get into an organization and you look at the existing team and it becomes clear that one person or a couple of people or a team of people are both absolutely necessary from a technical standpoint Mm-hmm. And absolutely also the problem for why that that team has not <laughs> been able to move forward with modernizing or improving or enhancing things. Yep. And it becomes it becomes those those are very, very difficult things. I what I tell most people, and I, I know I know Kevin, we've certainly talked through this, is if we can get through a transition period and not have anybody be really, really angry. Oh, that's a huge win. It, it's it's it, that's majorly successful. Oh, because yeah. there's mean, gonna be problems and just the changing nature of it. Oh yeah. And um, identifying, you know, having someone come in and say, all right, on the chance that someone needs to be the bad guy, who's the one that delivers the bad news, right? Because it doesn't get better with age, and they don't like to hear it. But we're, you're not doing your work if you if you don't do it, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I um, I, I won a, a help desk program um, one time out in in Omaha and showed up to do the the transition, and the direct feedback from the customer was, 
the manager is absolutely a problem. He's absolutely in the way. He won't listen to me. He's very argumentative. But I think he's the only one who knows how to do most of the things that we do technically. Mm-hmm. So he can't be our manager long term. But I also don't think you can do without him. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here's our problem. Give him a job. Yeah. And, and just yeah. Lo- just like when, you know, you talk about, oh, if you're going to look for somebody to hire at some point, a job wreck turns into people and you're not going to find 19 bullets of, of, you know, capabilities and skills it's a person and you have to figure out how they're going to interact with other people. I, I think transitions kind of go that way too. And so I think that's the, you know, the, the, the preparation is one thing and, um, you know, but mindset of customers and staff and how well they work together or not. Cause one of the things, a, a lot of the times that we you, know, you end up winning a contract, it is likely because things were not perfect in that environment or you would have not taken it away from another vendor. Uh, now, there are times, that's another thing that happens in the industry that's a whole other conversation is you know, sometimes things are awarded on cost. And so you might have a 30-person high-performing team and show up and say, well, based on the way your procurement was written, we bid 25. Right. That And that's can be also be disruptive. Um, But, you know, talking about, you know, procurements, I I think the whole pandemic, everybody going remote, uh, I was concerned that we were going to see no procurements come out for a long time. And I think at some level, contracting offices have kept up with or been just as responsive, if not more so, uh, than when they were working in the office. And I, I think that might be one of those things that, you know, when, when their phone doesn't ring off the hook or they don't have people constantly with that, well, they didn't get back to me yet. I'm just going to go stand by their office and wait to talk to them type of, you know, scenarios. Um so we haven't had that problem of, of nothing, you know, nothing coming out. Um, but have you seen a, a change in procurement, whether it be kind of tailing off of this administration or from the pandemic? I mean, have you seen procurement things change over the last, you know, six or eight months that that are that have interested you? I, I think it's. Um... I, I I I agree. Other than like you know some different delays that have come out, but you know we've been seeing white papers come out. We've been seeing, you know, uh, uh, RFPs drop. I mean, th- things are still still churning, uh, for sure. I mean, uh, I'd love to hear uh, what Emily thinks uh, it, with that, since she's neck deep in in all of the analytics around that and could actually probably speak speak with with you know more than just the gut feel that I, I love to. Re- run with. Yeah, I mean, there is a significant rise in procuring emerging tech. And I think that makes sense, you know, as the IT targets is constantly shifting and moving, um, the federal government is really focusing on on progressing our advancing and emerging technologies. Um, I think that's reflected in a lot of things like GSA Polaris, just uh, dropped that draft RFP um, and being able to focus on 
on that emerging tech. Now, additionally, the Biden administration also said that they're going to be focusing on procuring through small business. Um, so I anticipate that there may be a rise in procuring uh, through some of our socioeconomic set-asides um, or small business set-asides as well. So two interesting shifts there. Yeah, and I, I think the, the emerging tech is um... – Th- that is a topic that is it, it is it is hard to decide how to procure around that. I have seen do you put emerging tech into your regular procurement and then you're going to have a company that doesn't specialize in it or do you try to only buy around emerging tech? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it I don't know if there's a if there's a right way to do it. I mean, I've I've seen um, some of these emerging tech type contracts, and it, they're they've always been agency specific. They've not been GSA, you know, specific that I've at least that I've been involved in, and they they lent themselves to smaller task orders, a couple hundred yeah. thousand dollars to go in and do you know back when it was called big data or or whatever. Um, and then I've seen it kind of folded into to other deals. I, I don't know if there's a, a right way to do that. Um, now, Emily, so you, you mentioned GSA Polaris, and th- there have been other kind of we've got we're in a season of other large procurements, uh, GWAX like that. I mean, DIA Site Three is under evaluation now. Um, the Polaris program has been talked about a lot. CSP four is out there. You know, Stars three went in a little while ago, still under evaluation. As far as procurement methods or the way they talk about it, are you seeing more accessibility based on the pandemic than the way we had before? Are they talking about things differently? Are they doing things differently that you've seen? In terms of the pandemic, you know, of course, they still have those clauses nestled into to the proposals and the draft RFPs on being able to really thrive in a virtual workspace. And I think, as an aside, uh, that goes even beyond just emerging tech. We also see that in our communications um, and strategic comms proposals as well. Um, in terms of the way they're procuring these, you know, Adam, you're right. It's a mixed bag. It's sometimes nestled under task orders, sometimes um, pushed into larger procurements. So, yeah, kind of a bit of both. Yeah, and and, and simmers are all over the place too now with OTs yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it. Yeah, I, I do like the fact that. The online industry day, I think, is a major, major positive advancement. Absolutely. Um, there's been so many times where mm-hmm. either you couldn't get in and you couldn't get signed up for one of them. Right. Or you're there trying to furiously take notes because they're they're just g- g- transmitting a ton of information and it's very, very hard to capture all of it. You know, not to mention the fact that – I mean, down into kind of the the, the boring <clears throat> details of sometimes you couldn't hear. Oh, sometimes yeah. you're you're yeah. crammed into a, a, a relatively tiny room. Mm-hmm. I, I went to one for um, out in Pax River about two years ago, and they didn't have mics for the people asking questions. And so you're getting answers from the government that seem impactful, but you're kind of trying to play like, like Jeopardy to figure out what the question actually was. Yeah. And, and it. Very hard. So, like the the online nature of it, I think is um, 
is great. And yeah, I, I haven't had to sit behind someone six and a half feet tall on an online industry day yet. It's great. And, and not Absolutely. just the industry too, you know, from a procurement professional standpoint, it seems simple, but it saves them a huge chunk of time and travel um, and having to get some of that set up and they can use that time to focus on the procurement itself. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that I think is interesting in the way that they're pushing some of these procurements out is at least a couple of the ones that we are looking at uh, require oral presentations of, of some type. And, and it appears sure. that we're able to do that as a recorded video. And the first times that I heard about doing a, an oral presentation as a recorded video, it was met with immediate pushback that, for at least from the companies that I, I was at because they said that's going to cost us a fortune to go in and edit video and do all of that. And I, I feel like maybe um, – and Victoria and Emily, I know you both, you know, are, are embedded with the tools a lot at this point. I feel like all of the collaboration tools and ability to record and all of that has come a long way, um, yeah. you know, for for the kinds of things that you're seeing. Uh, are there are the standard tools that essentially ship out of the box almost with Microsoft or or, or, or a Mac at this point? Are you able to come to, to, to produce that type of media without major strain? I mean, I think that a lot of these tools are built just for times like this. And I think that a lot of these boxed, you know, software that you can just get are ready to meet these needs that we have across the industry right now with the pandemic. I think uh, Teams is obviously a great resource for us when we come to, you know, doing mediums like this, like a podcast, and then you can go even further and use um, SharePoint sites. And then on top of that, Microsoft Stream and all these other resources, you can build off of it with Adobe. And, you know, you're ready to meet the needs of the government in that way to make sure that you're producing things that reflect the brand or the company that you're working for. So I think I think we have the resources that we need for these kinds of requests. I think we people have been anticipating this need for a little while. So it's just kind of coming to fruition now. <laughs> yeah, it does it does feel like we've hit a spot where we're not having significant challenges from a technology standpoint, at least as far as working together or producing a product. I mean, I I think the um, you know, the Office 365 tools, I mean, even since we've been using Teams to record the podcast, they've added capabilities in stream that allows us to manipulate the video and move it around so much more easily than uh, even it was a year ago. So I, I think we are um, we are seeing that move forward um, in, in, in easier ways. Um, and it, the, one of the, the, I guess, talking a little bit about communication channels. So Emily, as you go in and as you're seeing the government release information about procurements and their procurement forecasts, where where are we where are we finding out that they are doing these things? You know, when GSA is doing Polaris, is this a 
check on their website. Is this the go to GovWin and they're mentioning it? Are we are we on some mailing list that it's coming in? Are we we reading, you know, Washington Technology and GCN and all of the other industry papers? How are we actually finding out when they're trying to communicate to us? Well, we we look for smoke signals. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, <laughs> um, no. It's carrier pigeons. It's <laughs> Exactly. Um, no, it's been really interesting. I, I've seen kind of a modernization. You bring up Polaris is a really good example of this. Um, their GSA in particular is really focused on using their communities of interest, um, which are almost functioning as blogs where industry can go in and literally drop a comment as government releases uh, some of those some of those draft RFPs and some of you know even RFIs for that matter. Um, it is open. The the digitization of our workforce has opened the boundaries and communication channels to the government in ways that I have not seen in my career thus far. Um, and it's been really impactful. Not just that, uh, a rise in LinkedIn functionality. I, it sounds a little bit silly, I'm sure, but um, a lot of connectivity in LinkedIn, both from a partner engagement standpoint, but also from the government. I've seen them contracting officers put up, hey, we've released an RFI. Um, have you considered responding? Um, so kind of really it's opened the floodgates um, and kind of really connected us in a way that is interesting to look at as we all sit in our homes. I feel that we are able to really talk to them more clearly. So, yeah, I, so that that's that's interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that they were using the community of interest that way. And I think it's it's nice to not have to search too hard and that if you, you kind of know where you can look for things, I think um, that was always that was always a challenge. I've had different accounts that I was responsible for, um, whether it was it was justice or DHS or state or whatever over the years. And I was trying to stay on top of events or things that I should be aware of or involved in. And it was always really, really hard. It was combination of of me and our BD teams and all of that and I you know I'd get a call from from Liz who was my BD counterpart for a long time and she said have you registered for such and such and I said I haven't even heard of what that is what do you what what is that and it, it would it was a lot of scramble and then it was a lot of sending paperwork to them and waiting for them to verify that you were going to be in on it and and kind of not getting information out um, and then finding out later that maybe slides got posted but you weren't sure if they were emailed out or whatever so I, I think there's um, some predictability in those those channels for for communication um, it's 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 encouraging to know that that that's that that's improving and I know um, I think category management in general on on these procurements is is also helping a lot. I know um, I had the the benefit of when I was in the Voyagers program with ACT-IAC, um, uh, Laura from GSA, who now runs category management, was uh, was part of that program at the same time, and um, she was a leadership from at the time, I co-chair something like that, uh, as I recall. And super, super sharp. And I think I think she and GSA have done a lot of work in the last however many years to take some of the ambiguity out of what these different vehicles are. Because, you know, I've had conversations with customers over the years. Well, why would I want to go to STARS 2 versus COSP 2? I don't know. I mean, 
pick either one and it if you want to you can call both of them and see who's willing to give you a lower procurement fee or but i don't really care having multiple vehicles that have a lot of overlap and not knowing where to put things uh you know for a while this goes back quite a ways but at one point, GSA had their answer contract that was supposed to be their big, this is where we're going to put all of our major programs. And then they had the Millennia contract. And then they had Millennia Light. Mm-hmm. And they were close enough in scope that it really became about what vendors were in what area of what vehicle as to as, as to what, which, you know, what got where. Originally, they thought they were going to use Millennia for really big deals and Millennia Light for smaller things. But then there was also Answer, and, and right. as, as, as technology converged, they used to have contracts for telecom and then IT services. Well, telecom's IT services now. It's not – twisting copper wire for phones anymore. So um, I think I think the category management is is certainly helping a lot on that. Um, and I'll leave you with 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 one thought here around the idea of, of getting conflicting information. Uh, something that happened several years ago that was I had a customer that they sent us the procurement in paper. And it was it was our recompete. And we got a call that said, well, they mailed it. You should, you know, because they, my PM said, hey, our recompete's out. I said, I haven't seen it. Well, they mailed it to us. Oh, God, they (laughs) mailed it to us. So they mailed it to us, and I get the copy of it at my office. And then I get a call from the security office of the company that says, hey, in another building over here, we got a, a cleared package for you. So I go over to go open it. It's the RFP again. But this RFP has a parag- one paragraph that is classified. Hmm. So we respond. And we noticed they had different due dates. They were off by like a couple of days. And so we called and called the, the contracting officer and said, hey, I'm trying to deconflict the which, which date is correct. It took a while for him to get back to us. So we responded. We submitted for the one that was the early one. And – they finally called back and they said, well, no, those are two procurements. Said, well, but they're the same statement of work. And they said, well, yeah, one of them's going to be high side and one of them's going to be unclass. Wow. And only one of them was my work. And so what happened was we ended up winning both of them. But we had no staff to do the one on the high side because I didn't know that that wasn't our contract. Right. <laughs> And (laughs) so they said, well, where's all of the TSSCI people that are going to do this? And I said, well, I really didn't. I'm sorry, but I (laughs) I didn't know these were different programs. And we wrote them and I submitted proposals to both of them because I was concerned that you put different numbers on them. I thought it was some kind of clerical error. So I submitted to both. Right. And we won both. And. It, it was such an awkward, weird transition time because we had no idea even what the other program was. And um, but that was paper and that really wasn't that long ago. So th- those are the kinds of things that have happened in government contracting with, yeah. you know, kind of lack of lack of planning around, you know, good communication channels and, um, and and planning on procurements. 
Well, with that, uh, thank you guys for your uh, for your time listening to us today. Uh, we have some other topics that we're going to include on uh, future episodes. We've had some employees who have asked us uh, one of the topics around leadership development and um, how do you how do you develop leadership in, in a company, uh, specifically going from a from a project into management roles, whether that be a project manager or department manager, things like that. Uh, we also had a question around the diversity equity inclusion program at highlight and how we uh how we've come about to to have that program how it operates uh what our thoughts and intent are there and that is something that we put a lot of uh, work and effort into so we'll make sure that we uh, we address both of those topics on uh, on future episodes and uh, so thank you uh, victoria thank you kevin thank you emily and uh, everybody uh take take care we'll talk to you on the next highlight cast thank you Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect Highlight Technologies and or any agency of the U.S. government.